Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Namaste and welcome to the Ake Woman podcast, where we bring you narratives from women of the diaspora. Our interviewees have surmounted barriers, taken on challenges, and emerged successful. Their stories are inspiring and heartwarming. Today, I'm talking with Raj Giran. It's difficult to slot this dynamic woman. She's a multimedia personality, serial entrepreneur, branding and marketing expert, confidence coach, communications consultant, Reiki practitioner, mentor, activist, philanthropist, and a dental hygienist. Raj's story spans many countries, from birth in England to marriage in Canada and school in the US. In her two-plus decades-long career, she's won numerous awards, written a best-selling book, started a successful business with three brands, been featured in a documentary, and two coffee table books, apart from being a single mom and advocate for numerous social causes. Let's find out how this lady began her career at 15 as a waitress in her family's restaurant, started managing the restaurant at 20, got married at 22, divorced at 32, and then successfully transformed her life. Hello, Raj. I'm excited to have you on our podcast. Monica, my gosh, who is that woman that you just described? You know, it's funny, if you were to ever ask the six-year-old version of me, I would have never even thought about having the guts to dream what you just talked about there in a nutshell. So thank you so much for reminding me about my journey. It's going to be fun to chat with you and to your audience. Absolutely. And I'm so excited because that journey is so inspirational and I'm sure that our audience is going to take so much out of that. Let's start at the very beginning. What will people say? This is an ongoing conflict in so many South Asian homes. Did you face it too? What was it like growing up in the UK as a South Asian girl? I was born in 1970. So the 70s and 80s were a time in the UK where the society was very monochromatic. You were either white or black and nothing in between. There was just sprinkles of the brown identity when I was growing up. I was faced with the outside world that didn't really have a place or an identity for me. But in the home, I was very, very identified within the South Asian culture. And I was conditioned and brought up to be a wife, mother and daughter. I wasn't trained to be the entrepreneur that I became, which is why I never went to school and got a business degree or anything like that. It really wasn't on the cards for me, being the second oldest daughter of four girls and then a son. It really was a dichotomy upbringing for me, two very, very polar opposite cultures that I sat at the intersection of trying to figure out where the me in all of that fit. Did you ever discuss this with your sister? 
We had lots of discussions about it, but it wasn't really something that we understood how to voice at that age because we weren't given the tools to be able to know how to have that discussion. It really was in retrospect many years later that we started to look at some of the experiences we had. And it was interesting, Monica, because, you know, a lot of what we both went through, which wasn't discussed at the time it was happening, because we didn't really know that there was a discussion to be had about this. We both individually went through very similar parallel challenges around the intersection of the two cultures and where we fit into that place. We've all watched Dilwale Dulhanya Le Jayenge and rooted for Kajol and her story, the conflict with the Desi girl growing up in the UK and her English identity at outside and the cultural one at home. Did you have anything that you particularly did that was Raj at home and Raj outside? I think this is probably a narrative that a lot of women from any kind of strong ethnic background can really appreciate the journey of because it's one that we've all universally had. And that's this idea of how do we survive in this kind of intersection between two opposing cultures. And the way that I did it is when I was outside of the home, I was, quote unquote, the profile of the white teenage girl. And at home, I was the profile of the good Indian daughter. And I very easily was able to put myself into these boxes without there being any fusion between the two of them, because that was the place, the intersection that I hadn't yet figured out. At home, I was very stereotypically the South Asian daughter. And outside of school, I was just a teenager in 80s UK going through similar things that teenagers and teenage girls would be going through, grappling with my sexuality, coming to terms with this kind of internal fight we have where there's this voice in us that is telling us that you are meant for more than the world that you have been chosen to be in or that you choose to be in, if you have the guts to be, and just wanting to have some peace around the confusion and the trauma that the confusion brought with it. Did it translate to even dressing differently in the house and outside the house? No, it didn't actually. My parents were entrepreneurs. They always had restaurants and hotels and gas stations and, you know, off licenses throughout my upbringing in my formative years. So every three to four to five years, we would be kind of uprooting to a different part of the United Kingdom. We were very attached to the nuclear family environment that would move around. Friends were just fleeting, predicated on each kind of area that we would move to. So the underlying foundational personalities were always those people that were within my home. Did that answer your question? I'm not sure if I did. <laughs> well, in a sense, it was more about, did you dress differently? To answer the question, the one piece of freedom that me and my sisters were allowed was, you know, the identity that we chose in terms of how we dressed. We would color our hair, stitch our own clothing. We would kind of express our individuality through how we dressed. And that became a real big part of the initial idea of what I felt confidence was. This is me being the me that I haven't yet figured out, but it's a me that hasn't been 
told to me by either societies to be. It's the me that I'm choosing to be, even though I don't quite know who she is. And then you started waitressing. How did that come about? Now, my parents, and I really do commend them for this, they wanted to ensure that their daughters were grounded, were able to understand the value of money and everything that we had been given came from somewhere. At 15, I was given an option. Do I want to work behind the bar and make the coffees and the desserts? Or do I want to be in the thick of it, communicating with people at tables? I felt scared at the idea of having to wait tables to strangers who didn't know who I was and figure out how to make them like me. So I I decided to go that route. The reason I decided to do that, Monica, was throughout my formative years, the one common denominator that was always there other than the confusion of my identity was this underlying fear of the unknown. That was the motivator that pushed me to decide to take the unsafe route of being not behind the bar in a safe zone. There was always this thing of if they were just like me. And I think that came from this whole idea of not being accepted as a South Asian teenager and grade school girl in a school that only had me and my sister as the quote unquote girls that weren't white or black. Was it also the reason why you decided that I'm going to challenge myself and go into an arranged marriage despite the fact that I had said I will only marry for love given your sister's example? What convinced you to do that? I think it was really an ultimatum that my father gave me. He said to me that either you get married to this man who is a good suit for you or you leave home. I thought to myself that... I have two choices here. Both of them mean that I have to leave the house. Both of them mean that I have to leave what I've always known to be my reality. On one side, I don't really know where I'm going to go because I'm not qualified. I can't look after myself. I have no idea how I'm going to be taken care of, which is what I'd always been until then. So I decided to go the marriage route, even though I was marrying a total stranger because he was the dentist and I knew that he'd be able to take care of me. And at least that piece wouldn't be something that I have to grapple with, even though there's many other pieces that like a coolie, I carried into the marriage. I love that analogy, like a coolie. Do you truly believe your dad would have thrown you out of the house? At that time I did. And the reason I did is my father was a very strong figure in our household. He always did what he wanted. And it's the reason why he was always trekking through entrepreneurship, always looking for that next big accomplishment in his career. He always went to places in the United Kingdom that there weren't really people from our community. He was like a hero to me. I felt that, my God, he's so courageous that he just goes out into the wilderness and just makes it happen right? My idea was that when my father said something and he rarely raised his voice or demanded things of us, it was more our mother that was the disciplinarian. But when he did, we paid heed. Like We knew he meant business. But when he broached this and quite clearly said to me that these are your options, I really did believe him because I'd never gone the other road to find out 
if he would in fact do that. I truly believe that he was a man of his word. This is such an interesting perspective. It made me think about the risks that your father was taking. You had this issue of juggling two personalities, the English and the Indian identities, but your father was taking as much of a chance as that brown man going into untested territory and setting up successful businesses. So I can see how much you were scared of him, but you looked up to him and you respected him. How old were you when you finally did get married? I was engaged at 21 and I got married at 22. That also was a very interesting story because I got married in Canada in a country that I'd never even stepped foot in, a country where I did not know the culture and I did not know anybody. We had this one aunt who we'd met once who lived here. But other than that, I mean, that's not really knowing anyone, right? So this is me on, and I'll never forget it, on June the 25th, 1992, stepping on Canadian soil. And on the 1st of August, I was married into a country a culture, a family, into a relationship that was completely foreign to me. I want you to think about that for a second. That is scary as, I'm not even going to use that word. You were engaged for a whole year before you got married. Were you in communication? Was there some sort of a comfort feeling of stepping into at least somebody you think you were getting to know and you thought you could handle I met him the same year that we got married. So we probably met each other for, I would say, half a year. During that time, he was Canadian. He lived in Canada and I was back home in the United Kingdom. I was too involved with my own pain and suffering and woe is me to really think about him and his needs and what this relationship could potentially bring to my life. I was too caught up in my own sorrow that I was being coerced into doing something that I didn't want to do. I studied in the United States in 1987. I had an arranged marriage. My ex-husband was living in England at that time. And I met him twice and then we communicated. We were engaged for a whole year. It is so interesting to hear your point of view and comparing it to mine as somebody who had an arranged marriage was going strange into a family, really never knew these people, but I was not coerced. And there lies the difference. I was excited. I was looking forward and I was like, yes, it's a new life going to start for me. I think things are going to change for girls of today. Do you see that at all? I feel that there is a crack in the wall that's letting in the light of people being a little bit more receptive to the idea that our daughters as parents and sons do have the tools and the resources because we brought them up to have them to make the right decision for their life, including who they decide to marry. But as the founder of Anoki Life and the continual outpouring of stories that we get from around the world, from the diaspora and from people mm -hmm. in India who are South Asian girls, there is a massive amount of coercion and forced marriages for girls for different reasons. That still continues from my experience for the last almost 20 years. You know what it is, Monica? I think that we see more visibility from South Asian women 
in the mainstream, in social media, in the higher up positions in corporations. So we think all of a sudden, this entire thousands of year of culture and caste system and class system is not there. The greater visibility or the louder voices in mainstream society are not the voices of the underbelly of our culture and our community. I do feel that as much as we say that caste system isn't there, it's there. It's there culturally speaking. We say that women have equality. Maybe they do by law, albeit that's not still the case in many parts of India. What speaks louder, law or customs and culture? Culture will always outshine any kind of law that can ever be put out there because law is a word in the legal system. Culture is the lived experience. And that's the one that creates or defines or decides who we are as women, as men, as BIPOC. That's where my mind stays because I'm very, very in tune with the stories that are the lived experiences of our culture, more than the few percent that you see out there in mainstream society that overshadows this whole idea of what's actually happening in the underbelly of our culture. Which is why it's so important for us at Ake Women to have women like you who talk about it, who bring it out so that people who are listening to it and who might be in a similar situation might take strength from hearing these stories and say, okay, I can write the story of my life the way I want to lead it rather than let somebody else write it for me. So thank you, Raj, for agreeing to talk to us about this. Let's talk about marriage. Coming to Canada, a new country, how did things change for you? It did end in a divorce. So what was it that didn't work for you? Can you take us through your journey? I would say there are three reasons for why the marriage ended. One is I came into the marriage with a lot of baggage. As I mentioned to you, I was carrying all of this weight of my culture and the confusion and the trauma and the coercion and yet still having so much respect for my parents and my father and all of that. It was such a confusing time for me. On one side, how dare you? On the other side, I said yes. The other part was that I got married at the beginning of my 20s. When I got to the end of my 20s, I was a very different woman. I think that would be the case irrespective of where you live and what your lived experience has been, that one decade can truly change the trajectory of who you are as an identity. I feel that being away from my parents, being in a marriage where the man was incredibly kind to me, incredibly generous to me, allowed me to have the courage to think about who I am and who I want to be, have experiences that I would have never been allowed to have when I was living in my parents' home. There is no Bollywood drama around my marriage at all. Nobody cheated on each other. We weren't rude to each other. None of that happened. What really happened is I came into myself at the end of my 20s. And that was further amplified by the third reason. And that is I became a mother. Now, all of a sudden, all the internal drama and the external amplification of that drama that was my lived experience was now 
looking at a whole other human being relying on me. I was responsible for a whole other human being that wasn't me. For me to screw up, for me to make the wrong choices, for me to have issues, well, that's on me. I could not allow that to happen in my role as a mother that needed to nurture this child who was a son. I have to figure that dynamic out because I've always been like the woman, the feminist. And now all of a sudden, God's giving me a son. (laughs) How am I going to figure this out? All three of these things are what kind of finally culminated in my need to look for freedom. Freedom from all the things that I've I'd already experienced. I'd been a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister, but I hadn't been me. And I figured until I figure out who the me is in this avatar that I'm in today, how could I possibly rear a son who could come into his own and become the man he needed to be when I didn't know who that was for myself? So that's really the journey that took me to have the courage to step into the unknown. And I was scared. I have goosebumps as you're telling me this story for many reasons. This whole thing about discovering yourself in your 20s till you get to your 30s is so important. I got married in my early 20s. I did not get divorced till my 50s because I was scared. Are you still friendly with your husband? Oh my God, yes. It's really interesting because if we'd have had more fights during the marriage, and ironed out some stuff. I think that we would still be married today. We genuinely actually really like each other as human beings. He wasn't brought up to be a fighter. He wasn't that stereotypical version of male patriarchy that you expect to to come from our culture. He was brought up by a very strong woman. She instilled a certain persona in him that I really respected about him. He was a gentle, solid, logical, kind-hearted human being, and he had a lot of respect for women. The problem lied in the fact that I was too immature. My lived experience was so little that I couldn't recognize these specific characteristics in him. When I looked at him, he was the one that took me away from the country that I didn't want to be away from. He was the reason that I couldn't spend my life with my sisters back home in England. He's the reason that took me away from the law degree. Three different universities had offered me places to go to a law degree. Wrongly, he became my reason to have something to punch on, if I was to be really honest. The other thing is he didn't have a lot of experience with women. He was the good guy, right, Monica? Here he gets the most complex traumatized, scared kitten that he marries who doesn't know who she is. Our parents, at least from my generation as a Gen Xer, never taught me how to be married. They just taught me to know that I need to be married to a person they accept. I blame my parents for the longest time that how could they do this to me? And it's interesting because a lot of people, when they looked at our marriage video, you know, when they do the vidai, I'm sitting in the car with him and so many people have noticed, they say, you look so angry that you're being made to do this. It was so visible. At the end of the day, I finally came to realize that 
I don't want to carry this baggage around where I'm blaming my parents and I have this very at crossroads relationship with them where on one side I love them and I'm devoted to them. They mean the world to me and I respect them. And on the other side, they did this to me. That eventually came to pass and I made peace with it when finally I realized how can I expect my parents to understand my lived experience when I don't understand theirs? I'm constantly fighting with them about the decisions they made as they are fighting with me about the the decisions of the woman that I want to be. How am I any different? We're fighting essentially for the same thing. And that's what we know. They on their side and me on my side. And that finally gave me the peace that I needed to be able to move on and to say that I am quite comfortable being the woman that I am. I love my parents for actually making the decision that they did because they made it based on all the right reasons for them. Have you ever had a chance to sit down and discuss this with your parents? They must have taken your divorce badly. My mother was in denial about my marriage probably for a good 10 years. Here's the thing. If it doesn't beat you, if it doesn't treat you badly, the mind doesn't understand, especially a mother who really wants her girls. She has four daughters. Think about that, Monica, right? There's fear in that mother from our culture, from that generation. Even now, we would have the same feeling, but to a lesser degree. She wanted to make sure that my daughters need to marry well. They need to be looked after. I never want them to suffer. Her idea of what suffer was, she fulfilled. The thing is that it wasn't the same idea of what suffering was for me. I also think I didn't have to suffer not being taken care of. If I did, then maybe that would have been a big part of my narrative. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So let's be fair. How did your lived experience and the decisions you make, and you were the second of five, impact the other three? Did you manage to be an influence on how it changed the narrative of their life? That's a very good question. I've never been asked it. To be honest, I don't know. I don't know if I've had an impact on the younger siblings at all. They had more freedom 
than me and my older sister. We hear this in our culture where, when there's three or four children, that the younger ones have more of a lenient upbringing than the older ones. I don't know if they had more freedom because they looked at the kind of experiences we had or whether it was just our parents saying, I'm done, I'm tired, do what you got to do. Maybe that's a conversation for you to have with them one day. You went away when your child was five weeks old. What prompted that decision? I was married to a dentist. And prior to that, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial um, household. When I married my ex-husband, he was working for someone else. My whole thing was that you don't work for someone else, you work for yourself. All the hard work you do has got to be for you. We decided to start our own dental practice. Part of that was, you know, what would be my role in that? Again, coming back to the fact that this man, he was pretty tremendous. Like there was none of this stay at home and look after the kids stuff. He was like, honestly, if you want to stay at home, stay at home. If you want to work, work. Considering that you're looking at options of what to do to go to school, have you thought about maybe doing something where we can build this business together? That's where the dental hygiene part of my life came about. It was very difficult in those days to get into dental hygiene. Very few colleges offered it. This is back in the mid 90s. I got a place at Rochester, New York at a college there to do an AAS degree in dental hygiene. I took it. In the midst of that, I got pregnant. I wasn't going to give up the plan that we had already made and clearly was not going to be giving up my child because I waited five years of being in the marriage before Mamta came upon me. And I'm like, I really need to be a mother. And it's very important to me. Again, my husband, his family never forced me that when are we having children, left it up to me. These were some of the things that allowed me to come into myself. It was actually a godsend that I got married in the family I did. They allowed me to become the woman that is speaking and talking to you today. I don't think I ever would have become her. I don't think Anoki would have existed. I don't think anything that I've done would have ever happened if that step wasn't a part of my destiny. That's a big part of my narrative is that I do come from this whole idea of all of the things that are cliche in our culture for women. Yeah. But I also come from this whole idea of emancipation and freedom and liberation that I faced when I, I came into the marriage. The very word allowed. I say it with so much dread myself because I'm a woman who hates to be told what to do. But <laughs> it is so cultural. When you are an outlier, it's because you've been allowed to be an outlier. That word allow slowly needs to disappear from our <laughs> from our cultural identity. I think what we need to do is we need to internalize that word allowed. We need to look at what allowed is for us as individuals. What do we allow ourselves to have permission and courage to do and be and participate in? I think that's where the word needs to be. They created our culture based on the society of that time. We don't live in that world today. And this is the reason why I feel even throughout historical religion, every now and again, there's been another master that's come down, whether it's Krishna, whether it's Muhammad, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Buddha. None of them have been people that came to fit into society. They were the rebels, the outcasts that came and said, you've got to change the way that you live because it doesn't fit 
who the human race is today. I know that's a bit philosophical, but I do believe that we have to be the rebel as individuals in order for us to truly be conscious of the reason that we've come here in the human form since our spirit is what really, truly always lives forever. I love this philosophy. Surprisingly, this is the philosophy that our culture is rooted in, but everybody has lost sight of that. You need to keep evolving and changing how you interact within your society and within your culture, but eventually know that you are just this energy and you're going to move on. Raj, I could speak to you for hours and hours. There's so much synchronicity between what you and I are thinking. What did you think you were going to do after you get divorced and how did you land up with Anoki? I didn't have a plan, to be very honest, Monica. I just knew that I needed out. I couldn't breathe anymore. I can't explain it. I was done and I was exhausted and I just didn't want to be exhausted anymore. I didn't want to have to explain myself anymore. I just wanted to be left alone. That's really the place that I was at, at the end of my divorce. I was a dental hygienist for 10 years. The marketing, the branding, the culture of the practice was created by me. My ex-husband had a lot of respect and value for what I brought to the table. So he's like, I'd really love for you to stay on. They never interfered in my personal life, never asked me any questions. If any of that had happened, I'd have bounced very, very fast. He was very, very intuitive. He knew that he needed to leave me be, and he did. The head of a media station locally here came across me and we were talking and he says, you have such a beautiful voice. You're a very attractive young lady. I'd love to know a little bit more about you. So here's me thinking he's hitting on me. Okay, leave me be. I actually wasn't interested at all in relationships for a good few years. Never participated in anything romantic for a couple of years because at that point, it was all about me and my son. I realized that he was actually genuine. He had his own family and he was intrigued by me and my story. He had me come and train at the station in on-air reporting. I did that for a bit. It was interesting because I would kind of do it on the side as a bit of fun while I was still had my day job. What I discovered was that the two or three different stations that I did this for, they would send me on the South Asian story. That was my beat. I would do the story, I would bring it back, and they would always change it. That really ticked me off. When I'd ask, you know, why are you changing my story? They'd say, well, we need to make it more palatable for a mainstream audience. I said, but then it's not the real story. Can you give us an example of what is palatable? Palatable would be where we're being a little bit more softer. So an example would be where we are telling the difference of the family environment without talking about the underbelly of some of the things that maybe the women may face. You know, look at this culture. This is how they all live together and they have an extended family. It's very different from how we live here. So they would tell it from a information perspective rather than an actual perspective, so to speak. That really frustrated me, Monica. I'm like, I have spent all my life being somebody, somebody, being told who I need to be and how I need to be. I cannot tell a story about my community that isn't real. So in my infinite wisdom, I always say this or lack thereof, 
I decided to start a magazine. I decided that I need to tell the stories of my community, the way they live it, the way they experience it, without there being anyone to tell them who are telling the stories to us how they should be prefaced or contextualized. This needs to be how we live. That really was the reason why I decided to call this magazine Anoki. I felt it was something that our culture wasn't doing. And I felt it was something that mainstream culture wasn't doing either. They weren't allowing out the duality of who we were as a North American, South Asian community to be spoken to or to have a voice. The other thing is the reason why I decided to do the award shows, Monica. South Asians who were rich were doing award shows for business people and doctors and lawyers and accountants. No one was talking about the artists or the fashion designers or the creatives. And I felt that at least from my experience growing up, that the art and the poetry and the culture and the clothing was a massive part of our culture and our tradition. I wanted to celebrate that. I wanted to focus on people in my culture and the arts that we weren't recognizing because there wasn't money to be had for a lot of those in those times, which is very different today. If you can explain the meaning of Anoki. Yes. Anoki is a Hindi word that means unique or different. Me creating this platform that started as print, went online, has a e-community, has a social community, does events, and all of these wonderful things that we've been able to do over the last 19 years has been kind of foundationally come from a place where the duality of our nature and culture and identity in North America wasn't being recognized. What we were creating was an opportunity for that to be recognized, showcased and celebrated. I felt that was a very unique and different way to express who we were, to be visceral and to be real. So that's why I decided to call it Anoki. And it's a beautiful name. Did you have a lot of opposition when you were trying to set up Anoki? How easy was it to get people to interview? When did you finally realize in this journey that I think I made it? I got so much backlash for starting Anoki because it wasn't an identity that was being presented that had been presented before. The non-South Asian community couldn't understand that South Asians are multiple different types of personalities. They couldn't understand that we have LGBTQIA. They didn't understand that we would talk about sex or that women were emancipated. The North American society were used to telling that cliche version of immigrant story. On the other side with the South Asian community, they were fighting so hard in the early 2000s to be heard and to be seen and to be valued and appreciated that having this media that comes along and is showcasing parts of our community that is so out of the box to who we are as a culture, traditionally speaking, I got backlash for that reason too. But I knew that there were so many people from our community we got praise from. Oh my God, there's other people like me. There's a place that I can feel comfortable to call my home. I decided to hone in and focus on that as being the motivating factor to believe that there could be a 
media that could finally be recognized by mainstream society. And in order for me to do that, I needed to make some moves with the company that weren't hidden away. Some of those things meant that I needed to go and find people to be on my cover that maybe weren't South Asian, but were people that appreciated and valued the South Asian community, that they would lend their celebrity to that. The reason I would get some of these celebrities, Monica, would be because I would ask. I wasn't educated as a journalist in school or as a business person where I knew what was right from wrong when it came to starting a business. I just knew the experiences that my parents had had when they would buy and sell businesses. They weren't educated. They'd make them into successes. My idea of business was that. I didn't know that if you weren't Vogue or New York Times that you couldn't go to Jennifer Lopez or some of these big um, personalities. I thought to myself, well, I'm a media company and media companies get these celebrities for their covers. I would just go to them. I had no money. I couldn't offer them money. There was no exchange here. For me, the opportunity that I knew and that I believed in so passionately about was one in seven people in this world are South Asian. This media is the voice of those people. That was the opportunity that they said yes to. And I got these personalities on my covers. Who were these personalities? Back in those days of print glossies, you weren't able to just slap someone on a cover like you can today on social media, right? You had to get permission from the celebrity, their manager, their reps, and there was this whole process. So if you got bagged a cover, from a major personality, it was legit. It wasn't getting it from someone else's social media and sharing it on yours. Jennifer Lopez was my second cover. And the reason I decided to go that soon non-South Asian is I wanted to quickly tell people that we were an okie, that we were different. This wasn't going to be a South Asian magazine that was going to pander to the importance of being recognized as South Asians only. This was going to be inviting in the power personalities and companies out there in the world to partner with amplifying the narrative of the South Asian North American experience. My mind went there. We had Nelly Furtado, Nicole Scherzinger, Dieter Von Tees, a lot of these major iconic female personalities who anyone in the world would recognize we had on our covers. I was so used to being brought up as a BIPOC woman and then being deemed as a second-class woman because I became a single mother. I'd already heard all the no's. It didn't mean nothing to me anymore. So there's Anoki, extremely successful. You've done these amazing award shows. What made you say, okay, I need to do something different? and start Open Chess Conference Academy? Because I was being approached by so many executives, entrepreneurs, startup founders, because my personal brand was finding its own place outside of being synonymous with Anoki. I started to speak at different engagements. I started to interview people outside of the Anoki world. I felt that I needed to have diversification in my 
conversations, a lot of them would come to me and say, you know, I really want to understand how to create my personal brand. I'm a corporate or I'm a CEO of a company. I know that in order for me to excel the role that I'm in, I need to be visible myself. We live in that world today where brands must humanize your marketing in order for it to speak to any niche audiences. So that's where it came from. I help people identify who are they, who do they want to be, what are the tools that they already have that can help them with that, what tools do they need to learn, how to present yourself to an audience that was virtual, that didn't know you, wasn't attached to you, didn't care about you. How do you stand out? How do you humanize what you do without making it too personal, but yet it's still personable, right? So a lot of these different things, how to speak and how to be heard at a boardroom table without losing who you are, but not being so foreign that you don't understand how to connect with the other person that's sitting at that boardroom or in a room where you are speaking or being a speaker. Personal development coaching just started to come to me I realized that, hang on a minute, I'm going to quickly get to a point where I can't service all these people. I need to create a formula that can service all these people at the same quality level, but also we can grow it globally. That's the reason why I decided the Open Chess Confidence Academy is what I wanted it to be. The reason I chose confidence instead of leadership or executive coach or media coach or any of these different things that I do from my subject matter expertise, all of those things, Monica, they make it about me, the media expert, the communications expert, blah, 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 right? I wanted to make my coach avatar to be about the result that I get for the people that work with me. Whether it's media, branding, marketing, communications, mindset, clarity, healing, leadership, networking, any of these things that I have done, whether it be in my parents' business, whether it be in my business with my ex, or whether it be in any of the brands that I've created under my own umbrella, I wanted to ensure that all of those roads would lead to one thing. And that is to give my client confidence to step into that next crucial stage of their personal and or professional life. That was my goal. And that's why I call myself a confidence coach. Why Open Chest? Open Chest was the name of the cover story that we would do for Anoki magazine. I would always do them. I needed them to have a name. I'm a marketer. The dental office I created, I called it the home of dentistry. I wanted for people to always be able to recognize immediately from the name what this person's about or what this brand is about. Open Chest is opening Pandora's box. Is being naked to the world, what your value proposition is as who you are in today's world. It takes a lot of courage to be that person. I interview people you know about things that you can't Google about. Because Open Chest became so known as my personal brand, I didn't want to create a third brand that wasn't connected to my personal brand. When you come to the Academy for Professional Development, you're working with me. It's as visceral and as intimate as we can get in a professional relationship. What is it about Raj Giran that sets you apart from the glut of coaches that we find nowadays? 
few things. Everything that I do and I coach on has been something that I've either experienced myself or has been experienced by other people, colleagues, clients that I've worked with. You're not going to get from me a coach who has found someone else's hero story, adapted it to themselves, and I am a glorified coach where in fact I'm actually just an online digital marketer. A good 80% of the coaches are digital marketing experts. They know how to find clients and they know how to tell a hero story. But then when it comes down to actually delivering the goods, you can already see how much there is out there about people not being happy about the results they've gotten. For them, it's a money game. Well, I've spent 20 years making money. I'm motivated by helping people learn in 40 minutes or four months depending on how they choose to work with me, what it's taken me 40 years to learn the hard way. I want to help them get the answers without having to go through what I've had to go through. And I believe in that. You talked about when Mamta came into you. What did you face raising your child as a single mom having a career and backlash from society, anything that you can share with us? So much because human nature is to judge. You're going to be judged from every single angle. How could you do that to your family? What has he ever done to you that he deserves to not raise his son? So much, Monica, that I've had in terms of backlash, but I don't know what it is. This is the thing that people need to understand about the whole purpose of life. With a positive and negative, it's your choice whether you choose to wallow in the negative and let that be your narrative, or if you decide to pull your perspective on life and lived experience on the positive. As soon as you come into the form of being human, you are going to be experiencing a polarized experience. There's going to be extreme positives, negatives, and everything in between. What you need to do to ensure that you're experiencing the best of what life has to offer in all of that, in the good, bad, and ugly, is to decide that the narrative that you want to live is the one that you believe in. That's where it really comes down to for me. Everything I do, I do because I really do believe in it. It's funny because people still say to me today, how do you get these multinational corporations to buy into your award shows and your events and all the rest of it, right? And I say, because I really believe in what I'm doing. When I walk into that room with people who in the beginning didn't even know who South Asians were, and I come out with year-long deals, the reason is that the story that I tell is so compelling that they can't but want to at least be curious about what it would be like for their brand to be associated with that compelling coming-of-age story. you got to believe in what you do, and if you don't, you got to ask yourself, why are you doing it? In your role as a single mom, was there any moment that was extremely challenging for you and anything that you felt like, I'm doing it right? I always glean strength from the fact that I had this whole other human being that I was responsible for not messing up. So all the other stuff that we go through as BIPOC women as a fear of how I'm going to make money, all this stuff that we get locked away in was so minimal 
compared to the fear of failing this human being that I was tasked to bring up so he could go on his merry way. I was so razor sharp focused on not getting that wrong that the rest of the stuff, I just didn't feel it. I kept making decisions. If I messed up, oh well, let's make the next one. I always kept moving on, Monica. You got to keep moving on. It's when we stay in something that we feel we've done wrong, that trauma breeds like wildfire. And I'm not about to go through that anymore. I've had enough trauma in my life. I've had enough people tell me what I should and could do that I'm just done with living any other way than what I believe in. That's all I do. And that's what I help people to try and figure out for themselves. I'm not here to be your anchor. I'm here for you to lean on me until you learn how to lean on yourself. One word of advice to single moms? It's not possible for you to ever be alone because every single has another counterpart. You just got to go out there and find it. Sometimes it's within yourself. Sometimes it's within others. And have the courage to be as vulnerable as you can possibly be because it's only then will you realize the things that you need in your life. If you fake that you don't have vulnerability and you don't step into your vulnerability, you'll never be able to find the things that are missing in your life and have the motivation to be able to find how you can solve those and bring them into your life. Vulnerability is what's going to change your life and give you the power that you need to be whoever it is that that is. Some women feel they missed the boat and look back at their life with regret. Others doubt their ability to reinvent themselves. What advice do you have for such women? I really feel that you've got to go inside. There is so much noise and clutter in the outside world. Anyone that's ever done anything that's been eureka for their life, that has been life-changing for them, hasn't been from the noise of the outside world. It's always been from a very deep, visceral place within themselves. I really do believe that meditation is the key to unlocking and opening your own individual purpose and the courage to live that purpose. A lot of people say, oh my God, like meditating, I can't sit there and not have thoughts go up through my head. And I say to them, who tells you that meditation is about not having thoughts? Meditation is about listening to what's coming to you. It's stilling your physicality so that you can hear what's coming to you. When you pray, you're talking to your higher self or to God, whatever your belief system is. When you meditate, you're hearing back from your higher self or from God. That relationship between your higher self and or God, depending on what you believe in, is one that you have to cultivate in your life in order to do what you say that these women are grappling with. If you don't do that, you will continue on the hamster wheel of the bullshit that society and culture feeds you. That is so beautiful. I find it very difficult to meditate, but I like the way that you've put it because that's a different perspective. I'll try that the next time I try to meditate. It works, Monica, trust me. I have a rapid fire round. Are you ready? Let's do it, girlfriend. Freedom to you means liberation. Favorite award. Most popular. 
a cause or charity closest to your heart? Anything to do with women and girls. The best compliment you've received? You're my hero. You were voted one of the 50 coolest South Asians in the world. What is your one cool quotient? That I'm fearless and I'm confident in that fearlessness. The toughest thing about being a single mom? Failing. Being in a relationship to you means? Being in a constant state of euphoria. An essential quality that women need to face life's challenges. To realize that being a woman is the greatest armor and gift that they could ever have, greater than being any other form of species. Because she is the goddess, the Devi. She is the source of all creation. She is Shakti. Favorite fitness regime? I just walk. Your life's mantra? I am because I say I am. Do you have a favorite shade for your hair? I love the deep pink. It's my favorite color. It reminds me of Goddess Durga. Strength and resilience and the fact that all of the heavens pointed to her to save them from destruction. I like that reason. What gives you instant gratification? Peace. Raj, thanks for chatting with Ake Women today. You provided our listeners with many, many important life skill tools. I can't even begin enumerating them. For everyone who's tuned in, you can find us on AkeWomen.com or on our social media handle at AkeWomenGlobal. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for having me, Monica. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.